You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hey, Live Different Podcast listeners, are you looking to get out of your comfort zone? Put the things that we talk about on the Live Different Podcast into practice. If so, come and check out Under 30 Experiences and Travel the World. Under 30 Experiences is open to ages 21 to 35. Come down and visit me in the jungle of Costa Rica. Go and explore Mayan ruins in Mexico and Belize. Hike the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. Go to street parties in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Come to see the historical colonial city of Cartagena, Colombia. Drink wine in France. Go down to Barcelona. Uh, Why not check out Ireland and Scotland and London Glacier Walk in Iceland. We go all over the place. Bali, Indonesia. I can't remember where else we go, but there are amazing places for you to check out, and I suggest that you do. I'm the co-founder of Under 30 Experiences, and if you put in the code LIVEDIFFERENT upon checkout, you'll get $100 off. So go to under30experiences.com, get out of your comfort zone, travel to a faraway land, and meet new people. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Live Different podcast. I am your host, Matt Wilson, and today we are here with a very special guest, Jordan Harbinger. Jordan and I met out in Santa Monica, California. He is the host of The Art of Charm, a top 50 podcast in the world, uh, XM radio host who here we have on his website, sorry, I looked it down at my notes about this 2.5 million downloads a month, and I couldn't even spit it out. I looked at it, and I fumbled, and shit, Jordan, you've had Tony Hawk, Tim Ferriss, all sorts of uh, amazing people on your podcast. You were a University of Michigan law school graduate, and uh, you moved to Wall Street, and tell me some things. What's going on, Jordan? Yeah, hey, man. Well, I, you're funny. Uh, it's funny timing because you mentioned two and a half million downloads. Uh, we, I didn't even have a chance to update you because just a few days ago, we got our final totals in for the month of February, and we had three million downloads for that month, so we've, we're growing significantly. I got to update my, my stats wherever you found those. I got to revise that stuff. Yeah, Damn, so I'm particularly uh, stoked on that. That's awesome. Congratulations. Three million downloads in a month. That is, uh, I mean, that's that's true influence. And sure, on a broad scale, right? Uh, but also, you're helping people with their, with their lives. Uh, can you touch a little bit on... Uh, the, you know these topics of social dynamics and social engineering, which you, which you go into, but you actually really help people live better lives and be more personable and charismatic. And well, shit, it's called art of charm. Uh, can, can you expand on on maybe what that really what that really means and, and means to you? Yeah. So when I was younger, I was really shy, and I thought like, oh gosh, you know, this is awful. My life is going to be this way forever. And then I went through a phase where I decided I'm going to reinvent myself because I was an exchange student. So I went to Germany. And it was easy because compared to Germans, I'm not quiet and reserved. (laughs) But compared to other American kids, I was. And I had also been kind of like a younger, geeky guy. And when I got to Germany, I was athletic and in good shape. So I had this totally different image. And that kind of reminded me 
that I could reinvent myself. And I know you travel and live abroad. So you, you see a lot of expats and a lot of expats, and correct me where I'm wrong, you're the expert. A lot of expats are perfectly normal folks, but there's also a lot of expats that go abroad because at home they'd had some unfortunate series of events or made some bad choices or just wanted to change. And you can kind of tell when they arrive wherever, you know, Costa Rica, like, hmm, I don't know if Angela was this way back home because this, you know, she seems a little bit like, totally unique person or out of out of her shell a little bit or you know trying new things all the time and you kind of get that feeling and I just sort of became a master of that and then I realized oh I'm running away from something I can reinvent myself as many times as I want and I can travel as much as I want but I'm sure you've heard that expression wherever you go there you are and that that's kind of what I ran into and I thought oh man you know is this something I can solve and change and is it possible for me to grow out of this and I went through the similar phases like a lot of people do when they're shy, which is like, all right, I'm going to be loud and obnoxious now. And then you, you kind of get some results from that. And then you realize everything that people liked about you when you were shy kind of went away with, with the reinvention of yourself as some sort of loud, blustery guy. And so you had to find balance. And I had to really struggle with that. And all the way through law school... I struggled with that all the way through college, of course. I struggled with that. And I got hired to be an attorney on Wall Street. And at that point, I realized, uh-oh, the, the quote-unquote natural smarts that I got through, that got me through elementary school, middle school, high school, those eventually faded in college because everybody's smart in college, or at least where I went. Uh, a lot of people were smart. And then I had to outwork everyone which was easy because everybody was busy getting drunk all the time because they were the first year away from home in college. And then in law school, a lot of people were sick of working so hard in college, so they sort of coasted on their brain power. But by the time I got to Wall Street, everyone was smart and everybody was a hard worker. And I thought, uh-oh, there goes my competitive advantage. I'm, I'm in trouble now. And I got hired by this guy, Dave, who was a partner at this law firm, and he was never in the office. And this is a guy from Brooklyn with a tan, so obviously he's got some kind of secret that other people don't know. And I asked him one day, how come we're supposed to bill in six-minute increments, and that's how we bill time as a lawyer, and here you are never in the office? Do you just work from home all the time? I mean, what's the secret? And what he told me was, the reason I'm a partner and the reason I'm never in the office is because I don't worry about billable hours. I go out and I generate business, and I get paid more for that than I would if I just build hours to the firm. And I thought, wait a minute. So what you're telling me is there's more than just a couple of ways to get to the top of the law game. It's not about outworking everyone, or it's not only about outworking everyone. It's not only about being the smartest guy in the room. It's about relationships. And that, for me, was both really good and really bad. It changed the way I look at work forever, but it also sort of spoke to me in a way that said, guess what? Remember how you used to be shy and quiet? Well, that's going to screw you up for your whole life and your career if you don't fix it. And so I started to dedicate the next 10 years and counting, well, 12 years and counting of my life to figuring out with my business partners and team here at The Art of Charm what makes people tick, what gets people to know, like, and trust you, what gets people to want to work with you, what gets people to uh, be influenced by you. And that essentially became the study of the art of charm and what we talk about on the show, which are human performance skills, psychology, and applied techniques and tactics to be both more influential as well as happier, as well as more productive, as well as, as somebody that other people want to like, trust, and work with. Jordan, that's that's awesome, uh, and, and I, I really wanted to ask you. Actually, this is something that I picked up from from you. 
both as a podcast listener, but also uh, I was on your podcast and your people did a lot of prep work before the show and made sure that it was produced in a way where we were going to build something together that was going to be shareable on my end. That wasn't just going to be the same old thing uh, that you always talk about that your audience would then be, be bored of. So that's definitely uh, my intention with this uh, with this podcast that that we put on um, but you know so you meet the the lawyer from Brooklyn with the tan and you say all right how's this guy going to West Palm Beach all the time well how's he out playing golf all the time and uh, where what are his billable hours look like but you you met the rainmaker in your company and uh, I know you've told this story plenty of times before uh, you were even recently on the Tony Robbins podcast and uh, I, I'm pretty sure I, I caught at least part of this story but could you tell me uh, quickly could you tell me more quickly uh, about just what this is um, that this guy had discovered, what the secret was? Yeah, so what essentially he had found out was not only that everybody in most industries is working in a certain area to try to get a competitive advantage, but most of us don't realize that. We don't do it on purpose, and we kind of ignore it. And so what I mean by that is, you could just as easily, well, I shouldn't say just as easily, you could have started the same business that you run now in the United States, but you'd have higher taxes, higher labor costs, higher infrastructure costs. So in a way, your competitive advantage against somebody running something very similar in the United States is lower costs in each of those areas, which might allow you to sell things at a lower price or to hire more and better staff with the same amount of resources. There's all kinds of different competitive advantages there. And what David realized, consciously or not, and again, it wasn't very conscious. I mean, he grew up in Brooklyn. He went to New York schools. He went to school, law school there. He worked at different firms in the city. So he had deep roots that took a long time. I realized that with intentional practice, I could also create a network that was as good or better than somebody who was kind of quote unquote born into it. And so that's where a lot of people, myself included, before I met Dave and started figuring this stuff out, that's where a lot of people kind of go wrong. They think, well, I'm, you know, I'm married into this, or my friend married into this network. You know, he's one of those guys where his dad knows everybody, or he went to a private school, or she went to some fancy college and boarding school, something like that. We always think there's something like that going on. And don't get me wrong. If you can marry into a great network, I highly recommend it. But for the rest of us, we have to cultivate this ourselves. Not only do most people not realize that they can cultivate these skills, but most people think they're always going to be hopelessly behind somebody who was born into it, the haves versus the have-nots. And this is an important realization because it's false. And the reason that it's false is because people who are born into these types of situations generally at the very best, they pick up a couple of useful networking and relationship tips and habits from their father, their grandfather, their family. At worst, they're coasting so hard, and this happens so often that there's a stereotype of like this trust fund kid that was born to money and handed every opportunity. There's a stereotype of those people for a reason, and the reason is because it happens so often. So what I'm trying to say here is that with intentional application of some of the processes and things that we learn and talk about at The Art of Charm and that we're talking about here on this show today, 
you've basically got your foot on the gas. And when you've got your foot on the gas and the other person's coasting, we end up with a tortoise in the hare situation where you might be the tortoise not born into it, not born with a silver spoon in your mouth, not born with your grandpa being the CEO of GE or whatever. But you've got your foot on the gas so much that when the other guys take a nap or when they let years or decades go by because they're doing their own thing or they're living off their trust, but by the time they need something, by the time they need that network, they have not dug that well at all by the time they get thirsty. You, on the other hand, or us, on the other hand, we've been working for years. We know how to develop networks when we move. We've got roots in all kinds of different industries. We've got a ton of people that know, like, and trust us. And we know how to follow up, and we know how to deliver value. Those are skills that take a long time to apply, uh, that don't necessarily take a long time to learn, but they require a long time to bear fruit. It's like planting a tree. And hence the expression, dig a well before you're thirsty. You can't just go, oh, crap, I need a job, and then start looking to, quote, unquote, network. That's a big problem. And it works to an extent with people who are born into those connections. In fact, nepotism in itself is a term that exists for that very reason. However, if you build those skill sets and if you build those networks and if you take advantage of it and you're constantly doing it correct, then what you find is a lot of opportunity comes at you that you also couldn't necessarily see. And uh, one of the principles of networking at the Art of Charm is that the opportunities, the best ones, are often over the horizon. And what I mean by that is you can't necessarily see them. So even people who were born into a network with a silver spoon in their mouth and never had to work a day in their life, they still don't get the same opportunity that somebody gets when they are actively pursuing and applying these skills. And the reason is because they don't know what they're missing and neither does anybody else in their network. And I'll give you an example. When I moved to Los Angeles, I got a toothache. Probably the first or second week that I was here. I had no car. I just moved to Hollywood. Um, and I, I don't live there anymore, thankfully. But I had a toothache, and I started calling dentists and going, oh, I got a toothache. Can I come in? And they're like, oh, sorry, we're not taking new patients. Oh, sorry, we don't take that kind of insurance. Oh, yeah, you can come in, but, you know, we've got a first come, first serve, and the wait's going to be four hours. And everybody just kind of said, go to the ER, go to the ER. And I thought, not only am I not only going to not sit here for six hours, I'm not going to pay for a toothache out of pocket, and I'm certainly not going to the ER where they're going to tie a string around my tooth and then slam the door whatever, you know, like that's, that's what I assume they do in an ER with a toothache. And so I finally just in desperation, I posted on Facebook, does anybody have a dentist in LA, Hollywood, especially where they can take care of a toothache on short notice? I'm freaking dying over here. And some guy that I didn't even know, because I set my, my post settings to, to public, some guy that I didn't even know wrote, yeah, my aunt's a dentist. And it turned out to be a, a mile or so away. Do you want me to call her and help you? And I said, sure, yeah, please do. And I bear in mind, I don't even know who this person is. They're a friend of a friend, and they probably just felt bad for me. And they set up an appointment. I show up. The guy's aunt takes care of my toothache, doesn't overcharge me. And I feel like, wow, this is, that is awesome. Thank you so much. I write the guy back. I'm all in good spirits. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And he goes, you know, I don't know if this is your department, but I really want some graphic design work. I work at a crappy, I think he worked at like, some department store hated it. He goes, I, but here's my portfolio. I said, look, I don't want to make any promises. I don't need graphic design work, but I'll keep you in mind. Um, and of course, a lot of people are thinking, oh, how convenient. You needed a graphic designer. I didn't. I didn't. But I kept him in mind because I owed him one, and I really appreciated it. And you know, it was a good, good gesture for him to do that for me. So that, that already speaks to his character. Well, four or five days later, uh, we had just redone our website. 
and one of these other entrepreneurs that I know reached out and said, hey, who did your website? I really, really want to redo mine. I keep getting flakes on my designers and my HTML coders and stuff who did it. And I said, look, we do our stuff in-house, but I do have a portfolio of somebody that's really communicative and seems like a really nice person. I didn't, I've never worked with them, so caveat, but you know, he did hook me up with this per the dentist, and that was really kind of a gesture. It's a considerate person to be working with, I would imagine. So she looked at his portfolio and ended up hiring this guy. And now bear in mind, this guy went from working at like a low-end department store. I mean, I think he worked at like Target or Walmart, I can't remember, in LA, suddenly now is doing full-time graphic design work for a web service firm uh, as a result of having done that project with my entrepreneur friend and getting hired as a result of that. Now, the reason that this is important is not just to show that networking works. Everybody knows that it works. The reason I'm illustrating this with the story is because when you look at the opportunity over the horizon, that job for this graphic designer, there's no possibility that they could have seen that coming. There's no possibility that even I could have seen that coming because we were on different, we're basically in different hemispheres if we're going to keep going with the globe analogy here. So had he not thought, look, I'm just going to help people without the expectation of anything in return. Here's a dentist, Jordan. He would never have been able to connect with my friend who needed a graphic designer. Because even if he had sent his portfolio to the entire uh, Facebook, all of his Facebook friends, everybody he's ever met in his whole life, I was still not in that list. Remember, we, I don't know him. We were not friends on Facebook. This was a public post. So if he had sent that portfolio to every single person that he knew, he still would not have had that connection through me to that new job. And I never would have thought to make that introduction in the first place because I wouldn't have had his portfolio to do it. So essentially what I've learned from things like that is that most of the opportunities for networking are over the horizon. And the only way to get them is to give generously without the expectation of anything in return and, uh, and a handful of other rules, which we can talk about here as well as time allows. No, that, that's awesome, Jordan. And, and I actually wanted to go back to something interesting that you said at the very beginning of, of all that. Uh, and it was about keeping your foot on the gas. And it was an inspiring thing there that you said, because so many people see the person that was uh, born with a silver spoon or however you want to put it, the trust fund kid, et cetera, right, who doesn't actually learn very much because they just have to coast through life. And I wanted to try to apply this for a moment with you to some other things in life other than just, you know, generally working and working hard. And, and one of them is uh, something that you talk about on your podcast, biohacking. So keeping up with your own health, figuring out how you can run uh, your body at its optimal at, at performance level, at its peak. You've been on the Bulletproof podcast a couple times. I've, I've heard you there a couple times. Um, and I know you're no slouch when it comes to this, but I was trying to explain the other day to somebody uh, why – I do all these crazy things. I'm a biohacker myself, but why I do all these crazy things for my health and fitness, right? And that is a really good analogy about, okay, well, maybe this person doesn't feel what I feel when they work out or if they eat this certain food or, or whatever it is that they do for themselves, right? Uh, but the point is, 
I'm always taking care of myself. I'm always maintaining myself. And while that person is coasting and gaining that 10 pounds or, uh, or whatever it is, though I, I shouldn't use weight as an example because that has really very little to do with it, but you keep your foot on the gas in, in that aspect. Are there other ways that you could uh, relate that to other parts of, of your life? I thought that was a very interesting example. Yeah, actually... I, I can. Let me, let me take a quick second and think about it before I just fire off an off-the-hip kind of response. I no, I, I, absolutely, and I, I appreciate that, Jordan, but I, um, yeah, I was trying to explain to, uh, to somebody, uh, to somebody who works for me, actually, and they're like, well, I don't really feel it when I uh, drink matcha green tea. Like, I don't know if I'm really doing it. What's the point? And I think a great way that I could have coached this person to, okay, maybe you don't feel it right now because you're 24, right? But well, when you're 34, you're going to be happy that you did. But I wanted to be able to explain that to him in that aspect of life. And maybe you have a better example. Sure. I, I think it goes to, speaks to systems. And what I mean by that is, well, here's here's a great example that's sort of trending up in the entrepreneur community and has been for a few years. You know how some people get up at like 4 a.m. and they're doing – they got the whole Miracle Morning Hal Elrod thing going where it's like sure. get up and meditate and then work out and then go for a run and then call your friends on an email. And I'm not trying to make fun of that. I mean for, for a lot of people, that is a major game changer. I wake up early and I get a lot of stuff done and I really enjoy it. It's much better than staying up late watching stuff and playing Candy Crush because my brain's – pooped. Uh, but what I will say is a lot of people who try to do the get up early thing, they're like, all right, I get up at 2 a.m. and I do eight hours of work before everybody else in the office wakes up and then blah, 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 this and that and the other thing. And then three months later or three weeks later, they're like, oh, I'm so tired. I can't go out. I have no life. I got to go to bed at six o'clock. It's this is terrible. A lot of people are trying to do these extreme, uh, these extreme measures. And it's not about the system. So for me, getting up early involved, getting up maybe a half an hour to 15 minutes earlier every few days for weeks at a time until I'm able to get up at 5.30, 6 o'clock, whatever, get up and do a bunch of work and not feel the lag and the jet lag and be beat as hell by 5 p.m. And the reason I say this is a system and not just a gradual set of habits is because a lot of people, they don't build the habit, they don't build the system in place, and they're just trying these varied extremes. So they'll do the get up early thing for a week and then fall off. They'll do the dieting thing for a week and then fall off. They'll quit coffee for a few days and then they're back on it. Uh, they change their health habits for a few ways and they're back on it. They change their organizational skills for a few days and they're back on it. And I, I see this all the time, like you said, especially with team members and employees of, of the of Charm and companies like that, where, for and here's a classic example, I had a huge meeting with my whole team, this is years ago, with my whole team about tracking metrics. And this wasn't my idea, it was another guy on the team, our COO. We all read this book about tracking metrics and we had spreadsheets and we had Monday meetings and we had this and that and the other thing. And if anybody was late for the meeting, they would get a little punishment. And if they didn't track their metrics on the spreadsheet, they would get punished. So basically what happened was that as soon as that person, naturally it was the person who was the biggest stickler who's not here anymore about tracking all these metrics was the one who fell off first. It was very interesting to see because this was a guy who's like, get up early and go eat this and go work out and go do that and start this diet and then do this other thing and track your metrics on the spreadsheet. They added so much to their plate that they gave up on the process. Instead of just saying, 
all right, I'm going to change the way that I track one metric, two metrics, or a handful of metrics. They started, every, it was like, quit smoking, quit doing this, go to the gym, track all the metrics. And it, it just became this impossible thing to deal with. And it's not just about overwhelm. It's not just about biting off more than you can chew. It's about setting up systems. You're supposed to get better at everything gradually. If you put everything on hold and you try to radically change your life, uh, all at once, a lot of times things unravel. And you have to test yourself. So a lot of people are going to be able to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, tough it out for a few days, and then boom, that's their new habit. But for the majority of us, we either start things and quit, or we need to go in very gradually with one thing, let's say getting up early, then we change it from getting up early to getting up early and then going to the gym. And then we change it from getting up and going, going to the gym early to getting up, going to the gym doing some email or some creative writing or whatever your, your shtick is, and then dot, 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 ending work early because you figured out how to be more efficient. If you try to do all those things at once, for 99.9% .9 of us, we're not going to be able to do that. And it's not just that we fail then. It's that we start to build a track record in our own minds, consciously or subconsciously, of failure, and it becomes more or less okay. It becomes okay to ditch your diet. It becomes okay to not really get up early and follow through. It becomes okay to ditch the gym. It gets easier and easier, and as those failures stack up, it can be very hard to get motivated again. What's very motivating is waking up 15 minutes earlier every single day, doing that for two weeks, and going, holy crap, I just figured out how to wake up a lot earlier, go to bed a lot earlier, go to the gym a lot earlier, and now I'm starting to change my food habits. You build positive momentum, and that is a that, that can be true for anything, biohack networking, your business, sales, even your freaking email if you want to. Cool. Jordan, so you've got this podcast, The Art of Charm, uh, 3 million monthly downloads. I mean, you have a, a whole business system to go with it. Can you talk about the systems that run your life? Because I understand that everybody's not going to do the hell Hal Elrod every morning and wake up at four and uh, do all their their list of things that they have to do. But I want to know about you. What what runs your life? Sure. So I have a lot of systems, some complex, some very simple, most very simple, actually. The complex, it's funny, the complex stuff is always the smallest stuff, like little podcasts. T tricks and techniques. And, and the simple stuff is the most high-yield stuff. And a lot of people who've been reading books and personal growth and business management and, hell, four-hour work week type stuff have probably heard of this already uh, in terms of systems. But the way that I do this specifically, and one system that I'll give everybody who's listening here, because I know you have a lot of entrepreneurs and things like that on board, one system that I am shocked that more entrepreneurs do not do. And I'm flabbergasted, but at the same time, it took me years to develop this, and so it's, it's kind of embarrassing that it took that long, is everything that I do ha lives in a time and place on my calendar. And what I mean by that is back in the day, seven years ago, when I was in my 20s and stuff like that, starting The Art of Charm, I would create, I would have the task. I'd have, I would have something to do that was like, okay, I've got three calls and then I've got a meeting and then I've got to read this document and prepare for this show or something like that. Well, I would just remember how, that I had to do all those things. But the way that that functioned was I would get up kind of whenever I felt like I wanted to get out of bed 
and I would check my email, and there'd be some stuff in my inbox, and then I'd go get some food, and then maybe I'd go to the gym if I felt like going to the gym. And then by the time I got down to my first appointment of the day or my first call of the day, or God forbid I was even more flexible and I had nothing fixed, then by the, it seemed like every day I would look at the clock and it would be 3 p.m. or 2 p.m. And I would go, how did I not get started on any of this crap for just years and years and years and years, this is, this is awful. And every day, you know, I'm wasting half the day screwing around. This is just pathetic. And what I realized was without any plan, you're just not going to be able to execute that well. And so everything that I have to do, I don't have to-do lists. I don't have, uh, oh, yeah, I'll go to the gym tomorrow at some point. That never happens. Whenever people say there's not enough hours in the day, I totally get that. But whenever people say this day just got away from me, I know they're doing things wrong. And so on my calendar, and I don't use anything special, I just use BusyCal, which is like an iCal clone for the, for the Mac. Essentially, everything, my entire day from when I wake up to when I go to bed is planned out. And a lot of people go, oh, you're not flexible enough. This is terrible. Your life is so complicated. Actually, it's really simple because if it's on the calendar, it gets done. And if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't get done. And I know a lot of people are probably rolling their eyes right now thinking, why the hell am I listening to a podcast about using the calendar? But if you think about this, 99% of people out there, entrepreneurs I'm, I'm talking about, forget civilians. I'm talking about entrepreneurs with their own business, they've got three or four appointments this week or this, this day on their calendar, and they just figure that they're going to fit other things into that day. And that is ludicrously naive. And I know because I used to be the same way. So everything in my day is planned out. So if I look at my calendar for today, it starts at 6.45 a.m. because I do leave myself some flexibility in the morning to like take a shower and brush my teeth and make some tea or whatever. I don't have to put that on the calendar. But my first thing, which is read the new article on theartofcharm.com. Uh, reply to the YouTube comments is another appointment right after that. Uh, fill out my metric spreadsheet for my partners is right after that. Checking PR opportunities, checking my podcast promo ideas spreadsheet in Trello. I have a show production meeting after that. Then after that, I've got to reach out to potential guests. Then I've got to fix a Fan Mail Friday episode and create uh, that for one of my one of my guest co-hosts on the show. Then I've got a, an AMA with uh, another company that I was doing on their Facebook page. Then I've got the gym blocked off. Then I've got lunch. You get the idea. There's not a bunch of blank space in there because what happens with blank space in your calendar is you try to fill it with a bunch of crap that doesn't take 15 minutes. It doesn't take half an hour, but you've got a half an hour space. So you think, all right, I'm going to go to the gym because I have like, I don't know, 45 minutes. Well, what happens is you go to the gym and you run over your next meeting or you go to the gym and you do a half-assed workout because you didn't really have time to do a whole workout. And then you come back and you go, ah, I kind of didn't really do the gym thing, but I also kind of didn't really do my inbox stuff. And you end up with this overwhelm because things start to stack up. And so you block off every waking hour of the day, even if the, the end of your day just says dinner and relax, because otherwise you might work into that time and it makes you less productive over time. And we know this by reading books like uh, from Cal Newport, Deep Work. He talks a lot about how a lot of people who work late and they don't shut down, they have trouble revving back up and they'll end up taking almost like a forced day off where they'll have a, just a really crappy, unproductive Friday, for example, because they've burn themselves out the whole week, not allowing for rest. So you have to have that rest built in. You've got to get that physical fitness built in. Put every phone call on there because that way, then you don't have a giant to-do list of someday maybe this will get done when I have a free block. That's totally unrealistic. 
even transit time to meetings and appointments, if I have to go and do something, like if I'm going to a recording studio, that's on there, transit to studio. And you always want to block off more time instead of less because otherwise you're rushing, you're harried. Uh, the other beautiful part about having everything live in a time and place on your calendar is that say I can't go to the gym right after another meeting for whatever reason, or, I, or maybe I'm just so full from lunch I don't want to, etc. I can't just tell myself credibly, oh, well, you know, I'll just go later. Because when I try to move that block on the calendar by clicking on it with the mouse and dragging it, and I know I've got to have that hour-long or hour-and-a-half-long block, where does it go? There's no place for it to go on the calendar that whole day. And so what I realized then is, oh, if I want to prioritize my health, which I strongly encourage everybody to do, number one, then I have to go to the gym now. I can't just delude myself into saying, I'll go later. I can't just text my friend, hey, our phone call is four. Let's do it later today because I know that I'm booked until eight and it's just not going to happen. And this took me forever to realize and I notice a ton of entrepreneurs doing the same thing and business owners doing the same thing. And I think the reason is because we're so stoked to finally have flexibility in our day when we own our own business that we forget that actually removing a lot of that flexibility is what makes us productive. And also, a lot of people will say, well, you know, how do you get flexibility in your day? Because emergencies happen, you got to put out fires, you got to do stuff. I will tell you from my experience over the last 11 years running this business that the more booked out my day is, the less chance of there, there is of any sort of emergency happening that would require me to reprioritize my whole day. It does happen. But it's so rare that in recent memory, I can count probably on one hand the number of times I've had to say something like, hey, Jen, you got to clear my afternoon. I got to go handle this tax stuff or this legal stuff that we didn't plan for. Or my business partner has got some crisis with one of our employees that I've got to handle. Very, very, very rarely. Uh, it's more likely that I'm going to get sick enough, feel like doing some stuff, which is fine because then you can click it, drag it, and move it and not just put it on a to-do list that's 85 pages long full of things that you'll never do. And so this simple trick, if you will, of using the calendar in this way, everything that's on it gets done, nothing that's not on it gets done, um, then it's a game changer. Because the second someone texts you and says, hey, can you take care of this thing for me? You have to actually evaluate, is this a priority for me right now? If not, it's not on the calendar. And the answer is no or yes on Saturday at 1.30 p.m. And that's a great way to be because then people don't bug you with small things. And they also know that if they really need something done, you're really going to do it at Saturday at 1.30 p.m. because it's on the calendar. It's not something you've got to, quote, unquote, remember or figure out when you're going to do it. Does all that make sense? Jordan, that could not make more sense because this is something that I struggle with personally as far as getting overwhelmed and it takes a lot for me to get overwhelmed and I'll tell you I got a lot going on and uh, I think it was Craig Ballantyne who came on uh, on the podcast and he said something about the more you schedule things it actually is counterintuitive he had some really great term for it uh, I think it rhymes but he said the more uh, that he planned out his day, the more flexibility it actually allowed him. And I, I really appreciated that. And that's something that I've been trying to, to 
be able to let go because I am the overzealous type who wakes up on Monday morning. And I'm like, Oh my God, there's just a million things that I could be doing right now. And uh, I love to work and I love to do other things. I love to work out, et cetera, et cetera. But unless I have it scheduled, unless I have calendar invites sent to my workout partner, unless, uh, you know, I, unless I schedule Jordan, unless I schedule my lunches, I forget to eat sometimes. I mean, and that's that's really not cool. That is not good for your health to to forget to eat. And then you find yourself rushing and eating crappy food, which I just will skip it. I'll never eat crappy food, but I, I will skip meals and call it intermittent fasting. And and uh, then, of course, I get my blood test back and, it, and my hormones are saying, oh, maybe you shouldn't skip so many meals. Uh, maybe you should take better care of yourself. And that's that's the way it goes but yeah I, I could not agree more and when something when a, a call goes later because it was going re- well which happened to me in this case okay yeah it cut into something else and I had to rush things along but that's just the way that's just the way things go but uh, yeah I could not appreciate that simple system uh, creating more flexibility and more free time in your life because then you you schedule your free time and I say all right it's Saturday I'm not doing a damn thing other than maybe going to the gym but I'm going to decide if I'm going to the gym or I'm going to decide not to because otherwise that's just mental energy but how you started the whole thing about let me just remember all this that's like having a program open and running in the background that's not serving you that's taking up your mental energy and that's probably a great tie back back to uh, your health. Well, okay, you might not feel it, but you've got something going on there and it's sucking your energy and you don't know about it because, well, that's just how you're used to feeling. You think you feel good, but normal is, is usually the enemy in a lot of these cases. Yeah, I, for one, I started getting adrenal fatigue and I'm not sure if you're familiar with what that is, but it's basically sure. like cortisol screwing with you. And I, I took a test because a friend of mine who's a health coach, uh, Evan Brand, and fan of the Yard of Charm podcast, he was basically like, hey, man, you get so much work done. I would love to measure your hormone profile because I bet you have all kinds of hormones doing this and that and the other thing. And he didn't think I was unhealthy. He was just like, man, how do you not burn out? And I thought, you know, I got that good old Michigan work ethic, got hardworking parents, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And he was like, yeah, I'm just so curious. So he sent me a spit test, and it turned out that I was not only burned out, but I was well on my way to basically chronic fatigue and burnout. I was just so used to working through it that I didn't even notice it. I thought, I'm sleeping well, I'm getting up feeling pretty good, I'm working really hard all day, every day. Um, yeah, I'm a little stressed out. Yeah, I'm a little short-tempered, but I've always been that way. My dad's that way. It's genetic, you know, and it turned out not really, not really. I was just so used to feeling lethargic and burned out that I didn't even think about it. I, I just worked through it because that's what you do when you're from the Midwest and you got, you got crap to do. You know, you work through it. it. But the problem is when you're at stage two adrenal fatigue, well... Once you hit stage three, it takes you years to recover, and often it's be, you're recovering by basically either being hospitalized, uh, taking medication, feeling terrible, having autoimmune stuff starting to happen. I mean, there's all kinds of bad things that can happen. So I caught it purely by chance, and that's what caused me to reprioritize a lot of this stuff. And, and you see tons of entrepreneurs doing things like, oh, I want to do biohacky stuff, and they take a test and they go, oh, my God, I've got 
you know, candida in my gut that's causing me all these issues because I travel and I eat at airports. You know, there's all kinds of things going wrong, and we don't think to prioritize it because as small business owners, often we're just used to busting our ass so hard that we don't necessarily know the difference between busting our ass hard because we're a hard worker and busting our ass hard even though we're sick. No, I, I could not agree more. My dad is from Kenosha, Wisconsin. My mom's from Flint, Michigan, and mm-hmm. uh, we're 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 Spartan fans. We're a Michigan State family, but nobody's uh, perfect. I'll, I'll, I, we won't have to discuss that on, <laughs> on this podcast. But yeah, just waking up in the morning and and getting shit done. That's that's what I do, and I I work like an animal, and and also. I work out like an animal and you combine those two things, but you're not, if you don't have the proper rest, if you don't have the proper nutrition, uh, that's, that can be, that can get more and more serious. Even if you're listening to this and being like, all right, well, I'm not on the verge of burnout. There are still things that you can improve on and you can optimize yourself because there's a next, there's a next level that you can get to. And it doesn't necessarily mean working harder and not to just bring out the old adage work smarter, but that's what a lot of this stuff, a lot of this stuff is. Do you have any tips for how People can stop and rethink. Uh, I have a meditation practice, but a lot, and you, I'm not supposed to be thinking while I'm meditating <laughs> or whatever. But as soon as I'm done with that, I'm like, okay, gotta work, gotta go. And even then, still, it takes me time to say, all right, no, what would be way more beneficial in this half hour that I have scheduled in my calendar is to actually plan the week ahead, is to actually really look at my priorities instead of just going from one task to the next and hustling and crushing it and blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying here, Jordan? I I do. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a large entrepreneur sub a subset, this sort of community. And and a lot of it, a lot of it's millennials. And I totally get that. I mean, I am one, so I'm, I'm, I'm down. Um, but it's like, yeah, crush it, get after it, hustle, do this and that and the other thing. And it's like, always go, go, go. And I get it. Gary Vaynerchuk made a career out of this. Right. And I appreciate that. And I think he's probably right. A lot of people do need to work harder, but the idea that just doing more is going to get you there is something that I've tried with very limited success. Strategy is the way to do it. And it's, you still have to work very hard. Don't, don't get me wrong. I don't want to convey the idea that, uh, People who, are, who have built things are not working that hard. They're working very hard. But you can only, again, you can only work a certain number of hours in the day. And you have to be competitive with people that are going to outwork you or work just as hard and are equally smart or much smarter than you. So you really do need to still do the, you still need to have that competitive advantage. And one of the ways to do that is to think long term. Most people don't think long term. And to prove it, if you think you're a long-term thinker and you have some vague idea of where you want to be in the future, that's great. What does your calendar say and how far in advance is it planned out? And for all these people who say, you know, in five years I want to do this, in three years I want to do that, if you look at their calendar, there's two things in there. One of them is like their wife's birthday. 
You know, and it's 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 right. not. If you look at my calendar, and, and this is what works for me, and this is what I've I've found that a lot of the people that I coach, it works for them too. And a lot of it's very common for people to say, I don't need to do this because I've got another system. But um, I would love to see what their system looks like, and I would love to compare the the scoreboard that shows their system against, uh, let's say, my system or another person's system uh, who's really planning this stuff out. My calendar is planned out weeks in advance, and it doesn't mean every single minute, but for the most part, the big stuff, the important stuff, the stuff that takes time to plan and execute, all that stuff is in there weeks and months in advance. And there is absolutely not a week that starts where I go, geez, Thursday and Friday are looking wide open. I don't have anything to do. What should I do this Friday? Unless it's a day off that I've planned. And the reason is because otherwise you overbook yourself, you start to burn out, or you, you run into the problem that we had before, which is you don't really know what your week is going to look like. And what that means to me is that you don't have a strategy. If you're working your, your butt off to promote your new software product and you've got two or three promotional things on your calendar, that's not going to work. If you've got a book that you're launching, you should have hundreds of interviews and appearances scheduled, or dozens anyway, depending on the size of the appearances, scheduled months and months in advance, not just, I'm going to go on everything that I can. That doesn't work. That's not a strategy. That's a daydream. And I think a lot of people, that when they don't plan ahead, when they don't spend their time planning ahead, they're really just daydreaming. In fact, when I see talks from people that don't know how to coach but are still very successful, like CEOs and stuff like that, they often give really terrible advice by accident. Things like, you know, just follow your passion or just do what you're, you know, you're good at and follow your heart and things like that. And they don't mean to give you bullshit advice. They just do by accident because they don't necessarily know necessarily what's working for them. They don't necessarily have the ability to pinpoint exactly what it is that's giving them leverage because it's a set of very small habits that have built up to a large element of, of high performance over time. And... For example, I asked a CEO recently how they get so many things done and how they stay flexible. Same thing that people ask me because I ask that of a lot of people. They get a lot of stuff done. And they said, well, you know, I, I do have a lot of great people. I've got a great team. And I said, okay, cool. What does the team do for you? And as we got more granular, it turned out that it wasn't just got to get up early and work hard, got to have that positive attitude and all the little trite, polite things that he said before. Um, and the reason that the Art of Charm is a well-known program is because I don't allow people to give away platitudes and rest on them. I actually ask for granular, granular practical detail. It turned out not only does this guy spend three hours on Sunday planning his entire week, he also gets up early, makes sure that he's in, in great shape physically by working out every morning. Um, he also goes to bed super early. He's got his food measured, cooked, and in the refrigerator so that he doesn't have to spend time going to places, eating unhealthy things because of a lack of logistics, right? It's not, oh, I'm at an airport. I have to eat this crappy food at Burger King. It's, I've got a Tupperware in my carry-on with my lunch and my dinner, period. And that's just how this guy rolls. And the amount of planning and the amount of granular detail that goes into this person's success routine to, to stay physically fit so that he's not tired, so that he can get more work done and planning all those things weeks in advance and making sure that his, his week is down to a science every Sunday night. Yeah, that's, that's the cold truth. And I think it's an uncomfortable truth because especially now, 
a lot of people really want to lean on this whole thing like you can have a really flexible chill life and you can go surfing every day and you can just relax and here's the thing that is totally true but you have to make that time for yourself it's not just going to come as a result of you killing it in business and crushing it and hustling and hashtag whatever it's not realistic I could not agree more as someone who lives in Costa Rica just steps from the beach it can be hard to get out there on a surfboard unless you put it in your calendar. And surfing happens to be a difficult example because you have to do it with the tides. But guess what? I can look up on a calendar any day for the next year and know what the tide is going to be. Scientists have figured this out for a very long time, probably in the farmer's almanac or something. <laughs> but I, I know. Or if I'm going to be in an airport, guess what? I know that I'm going to be in the San Jose airport on Friday, right? Well, guess what? I should be able to plan my meal and not be caught by surprise. Guess I've got to eat smash burger. No. Well, that, that just doesn't there's just no excuse for that unless you're just going from task to task. And, and of course, I'm, I'm not the expert here uh, on this. I mess up just like anybody. But the more I plan this stuff out, the more, the more success that I find myself having. And I want to play the long game here. Uh, like I met Gary Vanderchuk in 2008 and – Look, he's aged since then. He's You look at his videos now and look at his videos in 2008, and he's been hustling real hard. You can you can tell. But if he wants to be an inspirational figure and a, a media icon for years and years and years to come, well, there's no rush, right? If he, if he wants to be doing this into his 80s, which maybe he does, maybe he doesn't when he buys the Jets or whatever – He's got, you know, you want to play the long game on this. And so I want to feel good in five years from now. I want to feel good in 50 years from now. And I think that's much more, I think that's much more important. I mean, and also to a point, it's not all a race. Yeah. When you're hungry and you're, you know, you want, there's somewhere that you'd rather be and you wake up every day and you're like, Oh, my life sucks. Now I really wish I could change it. Okay. Well, yeah, then maybe it's a race. Get yourself out of there and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and wake up early. But at the end of the day, you know, how fast, I don't know. How, how fast do you want to grow? How fast? What's Where's the line there? I'm curious to your take on this, Jordan. Yeah, I mean, I've got my foot on the gas until my priorities change. And that's not sort of a whimsical thing. That's me deliberately planning to eventually get married and have kids. I mean, I'm going to get married. I'm getting married soon. But eventually have kids. And I realize at that point, there's not going to be as much time for me to prioritize a lot of the little things I do for work. I'm going to have to outsource some of that. I'm going to have to deprioritize other stuff and, and make it so that it, it just doesn't get done or I don't focus on it because I want to do dad stuff. And I know that I'm going to want to do dad stuff. And so I have to be able to figure that out. So for me, I, I'm already at an income level where I, I'm fine. I mean, I could stay here forever. Hopefully, I, I will continue to grow the, even remotely close to the rate that we have. I would love that. But I would be fine if I just stayed at this level of income for the rest of my life, which is a great place to be. So now I'm looking to make that same process of earning the same amount of income or, of course, more that much easier and that much less time consuming, which is something I'm working towards every day. So it's not about a certain size of growth. It's not about a certain level of income. Uh, for me, it's about a certain balance of free time in accordance with my priorities. And those are always changing. So I don't think it even makes sense for people to have 
five-year goals. And I know that's a, that's a strange thing to say because people are so big on goals. But there's really no reason to have goals over six months or even possibly a year. After that, you're just daydreaming. It's just a daydream. Anything you think you're going to have uh, right now that you're going to have in five years, you're going to be so far off the mark that it doesn't really make sense to spend time thinking about it that much unless you are actually daydreaming. Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's good merit in daydreaming, right? There's good there's good merit in taking a vacation and uh, getting to. I, I find myself when I travel, when I disconnect, I become more creative, and that's a lot of times when I make the biggest personal and professional breakthroughs because I'm not uh, in Microsoft Excel or or Gmail all day, right? But yeah, absolutely, I I completely understand. And Jordan, I know that you are a uh, you have a strict schedule, and so I want to make sure that I'm as respectable, respectful as I can be about your time. But I wanted to switch gears and talk a little bit about, tra- about travel. Uh, when we met uh, through our mutual friend, Daniel Di Piazza, uh, when I was out in Santa Monica, we talked about your trip to North Korea. And I know uh, that this is a place that has a very special uh, place in your heart. And I wanted to hear what you've learned a little bit more about travel, and then we all want to know, know more about North Korea. So could you get into that a little bit? Sure. Uh, FYI, I did have a three o'clock, so I can buy like four more minutes, but I can't go that much cool, longer. Man. We four had, minutes yeah, it is. Yeah, we had two to three, so I'm kind of like tapping out. But um, Appreciate it. So let's see. As for North Korea, yeah, I wouldn't say it has a special place in my heart per se. I was very curious about going there. I wanted to see it. But, yeah, I mean, there's kind of no getting around it. I'm not one of those people who's like, you just don't understand North Korea. It's a great place with great people. Like, it's it, there's a lot of stuff wrong with that place. I mean, there, that goes without saying. I'm not an apologist for that regime in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but I did, I did travel there several times. I did run tours there with Westerners. Um, I was th- around when Kim Jong-il passed away. It was, th- you know, there uh, for Kim Jong-un's first public speech. Like, I've been around to that place to see it and help people engage with it. Now it's a little bit less stable than I would say. I don't really necessarily want to go back there uh, anytime soon. It's just not the same place that it used to be even just a few years ago. But I've been traveling a lot. I've traveled a lot since I was young. I got the travel bug as an exchange student. I've lived abroad for years and years, and I, I've learned the languages and the cultures of the places where I've lived. And it's been hugely rewarding, and it, it helps not only in dealing with the sort of everyday life here in the States, but uh, it has taught me a lot of different ways to think about a lot of different things. And I don't think I have to sell travel to your audience, that's for sure. Absolutely not, Jordan. I uh, really appreciate you coming in. And uh, yeah, I don't think using a special place in your heart probably isn't the best way to describe (laughs) someone's relationship with North Korea. So anyway, man, I appreciate it. This is Jordan from the Art of Charm podcast. I highly recommend it. I've learned a lot uh, just from uh, the few conversations that we've been able to have and also listening to your podcast. I I feel like I know you uh, pretty well just from from all the the good tips and uh, and strategies that you've been able to that I've been able to implement in my own life. So I appreciate it, man. Is there anywhere else uh, that people can find out about you? Sure. So you're listening to a podcast. Definitely check out the Art of Charm podcast. Uh, we also have the Art of Charm dot com slash challenge, which is where people can go and check out. We do like these missions and drills so that. People can learn how to network, be a little bit more uh, social. And I'm not talking about 
people who tie their shoelaces together and have tape on their glasses. I mean, networking for business and personal reasons, personal charisma, magnetism, things like that is what we essentially teach in the challenge. And of course, look, you're listening to a podcast, check out The Art of Charm. I've had, like you said, everybody from Tony Hawk to the former head of the CIA to Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people coming on the show that are super interesting and, and have a lot to teach. Yo, live different podcast listeners. You know what to do. You love the episode. If you listened this far, go to iTunes. Show us some love. Please, that's all we ask. A little five-star review. Just a little review. That's all we need. Send it to a friend who needs to get their ass in gear. We're trying to do good work here, and we need your help. Hey, you know what? Special offer. Send me an email personally. I will write back. Matt at under30experiences.com. I want to know your feedback, and then I want to meet you in person. Maybe our yoga retreat, maybe our fitness retreat. Who knows? Check out under30experiences.com. Go do something awesome with your life.